All right, let's open our Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And this morning in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to talk about one of the most blessed privileges of religion. If you study all of the great religions of the world, you'll find that without exception, there is a form of communication that the worshipers have with the God that they serve. Now, universally, it's true, no matter where you go, no matter what religion that you're speaking of, there is some sort of communication, there is some verbalization, there's some way that people have to contact their God or their gods or uh, what some call their higher power, whatever it might, that might be. There's a way of speaking to that God. Now, of course, we're talking about the subject of prayer And it's no mystery that Christianity would also have a way of speaking with God. And it turns out that it's a very important privilege to us and a very important part of our worship. Uh, It's it's an all-important subject. And with with all the religions that there are in the world and so many different ideas about prayer and so many different gods that are being worshiped, it's no wonder that there is confusion, even among God's people, about the way that we should pray, to whom our prayers should be addressed, or just in general, the way that we conduct our prayers. And when we come to this particular part of the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to give some instruction about prayer. Now, today is just sort of an introduction to the subject in general, and over A few weeks, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that comes after this. But we're trying to keep things together here as we're looking at those different worship centers that Jesus brings up in this first part of the book of Matthew. So what we really do need to know is what proper prayer is all about. And when Jesus was speaking to these people in the Sermon on the Mount, he was speaking to a group of people that were very highly religious, and they thought that their prayers were conducted rightly. They thought that they were praying to the right God. But everything that they were doing concerning worship seemed to be mixed up, upside down, and just totally confused. And so it's no wonder that Jesus has to speak to these people on the subject of prayer. I'd like for us to stand as we read the Scriptures today. And we're going to look at the way that Jesus corrects another hypocritical way of worshiping of the scribes and the Pharisees. So we begin reading in Matthew 6, verse number 5. Jesus begins to instruct on prayer. And he says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we look at this all-important subject of prayer. And most of all, Lord, we do want to be proper in the way that we pray. We want to address correctly. We want to have our hearts right and to ask for the right things. And we thank you for the instruction that we receive here. Lord, as we look into this subject over the next few weeks, we just ask you, Lord, to teach us what you would have us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I want to remind you again today as we approach this subject of prayer that improper worship is the outcome, the inevitable outcome of improper doctrine. In the previous chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus was showing how the religious leaders of the time had for so long taught these improper interpretations of God's law. They sought to be justified by the law, which means that in order for them to keep the law, they had to institute a substandard system of righteousness. As we saw in the end of chapter 5, God's law demands perfection. And as good as we think that we may be, we're never going to reach that standard of God. And so if we seek to be justified by the keeping of commandments, the only way that we can do it is to implement some type of system that is really no higher than man's capabilities. And that's what the rabbis and the Pharisees of Jesus' time had done. They had changed God's law to a system that they could keep, and they said it was good enough. That's good enough for us to be justified with God. But God is the one who is the righteous judge. And those things were never good enough for him. And so Jesus began to teach the correct interpretations of the law. And his intent was to show that the only righteousness that God would accept was his own righteousness. And this righteousness must be obtained by faith. And the only way that you get it is by faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, by faith in what he has done, and not faith in what we can do for ourselves. And so from that beginning, uh, Jesus teaching about salvation doctrine, he goes on in chapter 6 to show how the wrong interpretations of doctrine had shown up in the wrong ways that they worshipped. They had wrong practice because of their wrong doctrine. Now, here in the first 18 verses of chapter 6, he gives three examples of wrong worship. And he hits three different areas in these uh, three examples. So he speaks about giving, and he talks about praying, and about fasting. And those three particular areas sum up the entirety of our worship to God. Giving speaks of our worship in relation to others. Prayer is our worship to God in relation to God. And fasting, which represents acts of devotion, is how we worship God in relation to ourselves. Now today, we're looking into the second of those three examples about worship in respect to God. And that's what praying is. And the wrong doctrine in chapter 5 had led these people into a hypocritical system of prayer and it had destroyed their proper worship in respect to God. Now our tendency as we look at these scriptures is to look at the self-righteous Pharisees and uh, maybe this is just an exercise for us. It's a historical perspective on the instruction that they had received and these are just simply perverted practices that we're learning about. But if we look at it in that way, then we miss the true intent of what Jesus is doing here because he wants to show every one of us that are in this room today that that we can have uh, sin infiltrate even the most sacred and solemn times of our worship with God. Sin can infiltrate even when we begin to speak to God in our prayers. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about in this particular scripture. Now, I want to open up the subject today on prayer to talk about the place of prayer. Uh, Verses 5 and 6 give us instruction on the place of prayer. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. 
Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, when we read that, at first we may get the thought that what Jesus is doing is turning our ideas of worship completely around, turning things upside down, because it looks like what he's saying here, that there is no time that we ought to offer public prayers. Now, he says in verse number 5 that the Pharisees were fond of going to the synagogues to pray. They even stopped on street corners, and on the busiest places, there they would begin to pray. And it looks like what Jesus is saying is that we are not supposed to offer prayers in public. Now, that would be very unsettling to our worship, wouldn't it? Because one of the things that we do when we gather here, we think that we come here to worship God and we do it for the purpose of praying to Him and speaking to our God. And so we actively encourage the use of public prayer. It's a form of worship to God. There are times during the week when there are uh, people who aren't even members of our church that they'll come into the church and they'll want to reuse this room. And they'll come in here and they'll bow down. Some of them we've never even seen before. And they want to come to this particular place in order to pray. So that's a good question. What's Jesus speaking of? I mean, is it really wrong for us to pray in public? Well, of course not. Jesus is not here restricting the use of public prayer. But rather, Jesus is saying, don't seek those kinds of places. Don't seek out the public places in order to pray. Now, perhaps here he's not so much speaking of the place of prayer as he is the practice of prayer, because there is nothing wrong at all with praying in a public place. The apostles did that. They prayed at the temple. Um, Jesus prayed in public. And I think that as we look at it, we would be much more careful about the fear of praying. I mean, we would be worried that there are some Christians that are so ashamed of their Christianity, they'd never want to pray in public. And that might be what we would think Jesus would talk about. What about being ashamed of praying? Now, one of the things that I do, I like to do, is when I go to a restaurant, I want to bow my head and pray. And I do that because I I believe that we ought to thank God for what he provides. But I have another motive in it. Of course, I do want to speak with God. That's what we're doing there. But the other motive is that I want it to be a a, a time of public testimony, that I believe in God. And and I always notice when I look around me, whether there are people that are in the restaurant that pray before their meals. And when I see someone doing that, I take note of that. Uh, Back in Kentucky, where I'm from, uh, lots of people go to church. And there are large crowds that go out on Sunday afternoon, and you can tell when people have been to church, and they come into the restaurants, and it's not at all uncommon to see someone, a family, bow their heads in prayer before their meals. And we would wonder, why wouldn't someone do that? I mean, we've all been to church, and we see people dressed up in their Sunday clothes, and they go into the restaurant and they pray. And if we know that they're a family that's just come from church, then we would wonder, why wouldn't they pray? Because we would think, well, that means that they're ashamed of the faith that they have in Christ, and that would be a bad testimony. But as I look around here and I go into restaurants in this area, I don't see so much of that. I don't see very many people that bow their heads to pray. And sometimes there will be food servers that that come, and while you're praying there before your meal, they interrupt your prayer. They may speak to you. They may fill your glasses up. They rattle the silverware. And they have no respect at all for the fact that you're praying. And I think it might be because they haven't seen it so much. 
Or maybe it's because they're godless people themselves, and so they never give a thought about whether they ought to respect someone when they bow their head to pray. But let's turn that scenario around just a little bit, and let's see what it would be like if we lived in a society where people always prayed when they were very public about their prayers, and they wanted to make sure that people knew that they were praying. Now, in a society like theirs, they would sit down into a public place and as a show. I mean, just to show people that they did believe in God, that they were truly pious, that they were holy people, because they they thought it was such a good thing to do, they could not even wait to get into public so people could see them pray. Now, what if we lived in a society like that? Well, then you would have the problem that Jesus is addressing. And that's because the Pharisees were hypocritical in their praying. Talking to God was not really the object when they got into a public place. They wanted to point out to other people that they were religious, that they were holy, they were really good people. And so their whole society was built upon religion. Religion was a very big part of their lives. You can go to Jerusalem today and you can still see this. You go to the Western Wall and you can see the Orthodox Jews who make sure that they get to that particular place to pray. And they stand before that western wall, rocking back and forth and reading the Torah. It's a very public place. Public prayer is still very big anywhere that you go in the Middle East. You can hear the calls to prayer. And you can watch people when that call of prayer goes out, that the Muslims and people like that, they'll go down to the ground, bow before their God, and begin to say their prayers. So public prayer was very big to these people. So big, in fact, you could say that it was gargantuan in the pharisaical religious system. But it really was not about respect for God. It was not for the purpose of speaking to God heart to heart. It was really an outward show. And in the case of the Pharisees, they wanted to prove themselves. They wanted to show that they were holy, that they were more consecrated than someone who didn't pray like that. Prestige among those people was one by these acts of piety. And so they would seek out the public places for the public display. Jesus says they loved the chief places in the synagogue because there they could be very visible about praying. Now here Jesus even talks about standing on street corners. And it appears that these people were so anxious to pray that they couldn't even wait till they got to the synagogue. And so they would stop on the very busiest of streets, and there they would cry out to God, and they began to pray. On the busiest corners, you'd find them standing there just so they could be seen praying. Now, that's what Jesus is addressing. He's talking about this hypocritical type of praying that really has no interest in God. It was only that they could exhibit their selfish, fake piety. Now, we look at that and we think, well, what a terrible display that is. Who would ever be guilty of such things as that? And we don't really have to worry about doing what they did because I don't think too many of us are really going to get out there on street corners and begin to pray. You're not going to walk down the street in Santa Rosa, downtown Santa Rosa, and all of a sudden just stop there with all the cars buzzing around you and begin to pray. We're not going to do that. I mean, if we wouldn't even bow our head in a restaurant to pray before a meal in a place where it might somewhat be expected, then we're certainly not going to stand out on street corners and pray. So how can we take what Jesus says here and apply it to what we do? Well, I would start thinking, first of all, about prayers that are offered right in the church. Because there are people 
that will pray and they'll want to pray very eloquent prayers because they want to be heard. One of the most prideful things that I suppose that I've ever seen is when preachers do this. Sometimes preachers go to conferences and I get the opportunity to do that sometimes. And there are so many preachers that are at the conferences that, of course, not everybody is going to preach. And you have the preachers that are on the dais, and they're usually the big-name preachers. They're the ones that are very eloquent in their speaking abilities. But then there are other preachers that attend, and they don't get to preach. Now, some of them are what I would call the second-tier preachers, and these are the preachers that get called on to pray. Evidently, they weren't good enough to preach, and so they're the ones who get called on to pray. Well, the ones who get called on to pray many times are not content just to pray because they think that they ought to be the ones that preach. And so they get very disappointed about that. And so when they're called on to pray, they've already got a prepared prayer. And they're determined that they're going to be heard. And so when they begin to pray, they start to preach their message in their prayer. I'm good enough to preach, and if you won't let me preach, then I'm going to preach my message in my prayer. And so they think that they've been slighted because they've only been asked to pray. So they go about making their point in the only way that they can. They pray a prayer that's to be heard by whom? Not by God, but to be heard by men. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Whether it's praying in the church or praying at a conference or praying in a restaurant, if you do that to be seen, if you seek the public place in order to be seen, it's hypocritical. It's not a commendable prayer, it's a condemning prayer. Now Jesus says, if that's the way that you pray, then you'll receive a reward. You will. You'll receive the reward of people who'll look at you and and they'll wonder at your piety and they'll wonder about how holy that you are, but you won't receive a reward from God. So where are we to pray? Well, Jesus says that we do speak in the private places. He says, don't seek to go public. If your heart is really intended and your prayers are intended for God, and if it comes from your heart, then don't pray to be heard by anybody. Pray in a private place. And so here he says, go into your closet to pray. And you know, there are many people that miss this. They misinterpret what Jesus says here, just like they do many things in the Bible. Because when Jesus says to go into your closet, he's not talking about going home and there going up to your bedroom and open the closet door, push all the clothes aside, clear all the shoes out of the way, and then sit there on the floor in the dark, close the door behind you, and then begin to pray. And now you've got your holy place where you can approach God and you can pray. And you know, this is kind of mixed up too. I talked a moment ago about people who will stop by the church and They come into this room to pray here, and, you know, we call this the sanctuary. And some people will come here, and they'll go up, and they'll bow down just short of that cross right over there, and they'll begin to pray. There are some people who come up here to the platform area, and right here they bow down there, and they pray there. And they think that this particular place or those particular places are the holy place for someone to pray. Well, there's nothing really efficacious about being in this room. There's nothing holy about the room itself. There's nothing holy about the platform here. There's nothing holy about that cross over there. And if you think that, and if you think you have to pray in those kinds of places, then you make an idol out of them. You make an idol out of the room, you make an idol out of the platform, or you make an idol out of the cross. And that's one of the very reasons why we don't have a so-called altar call in Berean. 
And the reason that we don't is because there is no altar here. The altar has long since been gone for Christians. The altar for a Christian is the cross of Jesus Christ, the very one that he died on where that sacrifice was made. So we don't offer blood sacrifices when we, when we come to church. We don't have an altar here. The Roman Catholics started the idea of an altar in a church, and the reason that they did that was because every time that they say the Mass, they make a sacrifice. But we don't have any business calling any place in our church an altar. And further, I would say this, that it's God who put Christ on the cross. It's Him who placed Him on that altar. And so we don't have altar calls because I don't want anyone to make a, this particular spot in the church a place that's holy and sacred. It's not that. Now, you respect this particular place because the Word of God is spoken here, and that's the only reason that you respect it. You don't have to come here to do anything as far as business with God is concerned. You do that in your own heart as you pray to Him wherever you are. That's what Jesus is speaking of. Now, let me go back to the idea of the closet, though. And some of you right now, you may think that's where I need to be, in a closet somewhere. But, but the closet... When Jesus is speaking of here, the closet is nothing more than a place of privacy. The closet can be your car when you drive down the highway. Now, be careful about closing your eyes when you pray when you're driving, but, but that, that's a place of privacy, a place that you can get alone and talk with God. A, a, a place of privacy can be in your backyard. Go outside and be alone and pray to God there. It can be any room that's in your house, you can pray there. A place of privacy can even be a cubicle at work if you're alone with God there and you speak with God. So you don't have to be in a public place in order to pray. And he also doesn't mean here that you seek out a private place and you got that part right, but what you do is when you get in that private place that you weep and you wail and you yell out loud so people will know that you're in a private place praying. That's not what he's talking about. God knows when a prayer is intended for him or if it was intended to be heard by somebody else. Pray in private because God is the one that we worship in prayer. So that's the place in prayer. Now we look also because there is some instruction here about the persons for prayer. There's a right way to pray in respect to the persons in prayer. Now this, as I said, is worship in relation to God. And God in all three parts of the Trinity, are involved in our prayers. Now, let me also say again, there is much instruction about prayer. As you read on further, you get down into verse number 9, and there we begin what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And that is a model prayer that Jesus gave for instruction. And we're going to get to that in some later messages. But let me just briefly talk about this particular aspect of our prayers. Where do we start? To whom do we pray? Well, some people say, well, it all depends on what you need. You, you determine who you pray to depending upon what you need. And so you have some people who have their patron saints. And so they have a particular need as a pa patron saint of this or that, and they go and they pray to that saint. Now, let me say that, that somebody determined, for some reason or another, that those people must be closer to God for, for some reason, and they're the ones who determined they were saints. That's not a saint according to the Word of God. All people who are believers in Jesus Christ are the saints of God. But beyond that, the Bible never tells us anywhere, in any case, in any place, that you are to pray to someone who is dead. You don't pray to dead saints. You pray to God, and only to God. 
Now, we'll get into that perhaps a little bit later about praying to saints and those kinds of things. And I might add that we're not supposed to pray to Mary. And I'd like to spend a little time on that, but we won't do that today. We'll do it at a later time. But we're not supposed to pray to Mary. So who are we to pray to? Well, we are to address our prayers to the Father. God the Father is the one to whom we address prayer. Now, we see that in verse number 6. He says, pray to the Father which seeth in secret. Again, in verse number 8, For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And if you look down at verse number 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. So God the Father is that person in the Trinity to whom we address our prayers. Now, if you're praying for the purpose of being heard by others, then, of course, you're not praying to God the Father. You're praying for men. And if you're in this room and you want to pray to be heard by others, your prayers are not going to get any higher than I would say maybe about six foot seven here. And that would be along the level of Corey's ears over there somewhere. That's as high as your prayers are going to get if your purpose is to pray for men instead of praying to God. Now, what this means is, is that it's not proper to address your prayers to Jesus. And it's not proper to address your prayers to the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father who is the recipient of our prayers. Now you say, well, I just love Jesus so much. I want to pray to Jesus. I just love him so much. Well, if you really love Jesus, then you'll pray in the way that he said to pray. You don't pray to Jesus. You pray to the Father. Well, does that mean that we're sliding Jesus and Jesus has no part in our prayers? No. Our prayers are addressed to the Father, but here also we need to learn that they are allowed through the Son. The only reason that you could ever even come into the presence of God the Father is because of the Son. It's because on the account of what He's done for us. That's the only way that you can speak to God. Now, this is a very serious matter because to speak with the Father without Christ is an act of blasphemy. Now, but don't we hear that all the time? I mean, to be politically correct, people will leave out the name of Jesus in their prayers. I remember some time ago, there was a chaplain in the Navy who prayed publicly. He was at a White House function, I believe it was, and he prayed publicly, and he prayed in the name of Jesus. And he was disciplined for it. His commanding officers disciplined, and they said, you cannot pray in the name of Jesus. And they said it's because that's offensive to people. People who don't believe in Jesus, you you don't mention that because that's offensive to them. And there are people that aren't Christians, so you don't pray in the name of Jesus. And so they said, well, the Navy must be tolerant of other people's beliefs. And you know that there are many Christians who would say, well, absolutely. They applaud that. And they say, well, yes, we need to be very tolerant about this. Be tolerant about all these other religions because when we pray, we need to tone that down just a little bit. Don't use the name of Jesus because we certainly don't want to offend anybody. May I say to you that you cannot approach the God of the Bible without Jesus. Now, we may think that we need to be religiously tolerant. But didn't we just learn this not long ago that Jesus was the most intolerant person of all when it came to this? Because he's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, you can't get to the Father except by me. 
Now here is the truth of the matter, is that Jesus will not allow you to speak to his Father unless you come by him. And the Father is not going to listen to a single solitary thing that you say unless you speak to him in the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John fourteen thirteen, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Paul wrote in Colossians three seventeen, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, it's important for us to understand what we mean when we say that we are to pray in the name of Jesus. Now, does that mean that you just agree that Jesus is the name that you're to use, and so you patch up your prayer at the end by tacking on Jesus to the prayer? Is that what he means? No, you you can't use Jesus' name unless you know him personally. You can't use his name and get to the Father unless you are a believer, which means you have to have repented of your sins. You must have placed your faith in Christ for the saving of your soul. You have no right to speak with God unless you have a relationship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that tells us that there are a lot of prayers that are ruled out. It means that the majority of prayers that are prayed all across the world are prayers of futility. There's no God to hear them. There's no God to answer them. And then if you add on top of that, all of the prayers that are prayed wrongly for the wrong reasons, for the wrong purposes, with the wrong person in mind, then that would tell us that there are very few prayers among all the prayers that are offered that are actually heard by God. Now, you can trust me on this, that God is much more intolerant when it comes to prayer, than we pretend to be. Now, we we want to make it easy, and we want to make it uh, so that anybody, anywhere, anytime, of any persuasion, that they can pray. Well, I have no basis to say that. The one who grants prayer is God himself. The only thing I can do is go by what God says. And before God ever makes such an allowance, he says you must come through the Son. Now, either the Bible is true about that, or God is a liar. And this is what God says. It must be based upon the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The heart of the petitioner, the one who comes to God, must have that blood applied to his heart in belief in Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that allows you to come into the presence of God with prayer. Now, we're not done yet because there is another person in the Trinity, another part of the Godhead, and he also has a part of our prayers. So we pray to the Father. We address our prayers to the Father. Those prayers are allowed by the Son. And now thirdly, they are accessed through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us aware of the presence of God. And he is the one who instructs us how to pray. In Ephesians 2.18, Paul says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So through Christ, by the access of the Spirit, we come to the Father. Now, by the way, if if you uh, open your Bible there to Ephesians 2, verse 18, there's a good place for you to underline, because this is one of those verses that teaches us about the Trinity. And there are people who say, well, you can't find the Trinity taught in the Bible. But you find verse after verse of these kinds, where all three persons of the Godhead are put into juxtaposition in those just one or few verses. So we have access through the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand what that word access means, as Paul used it. 
The word access there means introduction. It means that we are introduced to the Father by the Holy Spirit. Now, it should be readily apparent to all of us that we can only be talking about Christians. Christians or Christianity is very exclusive about prayer. And why is that? Well, because it's the Holy Spirit that works on a person's heart to draw him to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts and convinces of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who points us to the way of Jesus Christ as the means of our salvation. Then the uh, Son of God saves us from our sins, and then we're able to come to the Father. And you can't bypass the steps. All persons of the Trinity are involved in this wonderful privilege that we have of prayer. Now, this tells us that it takes a lot for one prayer to get through. It has to have the right motive. It must ask for the right things. It has to address the right person. It has to be allowed on the basis of our faith in Christ. It must access the Father by our introduction from the Holy Spirit. Now, no wonder Jesus has to speak on this. It's all important. And no wonder these self-righteous, pharisaical uh, Jews, their system could never bring them to this place where they could actually worship God properly in prayer. Now, let me go on because Jesus has one more instruction in these few verses. And number three is the plan of prayer. Now, we find that in verse number seven. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Here, Jesus speaks against repetition and ritualism. Have you ever noticed how dangerous that repetitive motions are? I mean, you see people all the time that may have uh, a a, a wrist uh, brace or something on uh, because of all the repetitive motions at work, uh, working on a machine or using a, a keyboard or a mouse. All those repetitive motions. You know, uh, every week I type about 30 to 40 pages of manuscripts. And sometimes I notice at the end of the week that, that my forearms, I mean, right in this air, it really burns because of all that repetitive motion. You know, I, ha- I used to hate to write term papers when I was in school. Now I write about 140 term papers a year, the equivalent to it. But repetition in prayer can be just as troublesome to us as repetition at work. Now, notice here that Jesus says vain repetitions. So he's not talking here about asking God over and over again for the very same things. There's nothing wrong with praying over and over again for things that you need. Jesus prayed that way when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, right before he was crucified, he went to his father and he prayed three times the very same words. That's what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul sought God three times in prayer because there was some physical ailment that he thought was hindering him him from his work for Christ. And so he prayed for the same things. So it's not the repetition alone that's the problem. It's vain repetition. And he said that is the kind of praying that the heathens do. Now, you might not like what I'm going to say next, but vain repetitions are often used by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, for instance, the priest will say, say, ten Hail Marys. And so the person will say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And people repeat that over and over again. And you know, that is a prayer that's prayed to Mary for intercession. Intercession. 
It's prayed over and over. That's what the Bible is talking about when it says vain repetition. And aside from the fact that it's an abomination in the eyes of God to pray to Mary, it's certainly that much more wrong to pray with the vain repetition. And yet those same kinds of prayers are repeated over and over and over again 365 days a year. And the Our Fathers, that is the same thing. And that's where they're told to repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. Jesus prohibits that kind of praying. That is ritualistic praying. It's the kind that works people up into a frenzy. They pray this very rapidly. And it's, a, it's a, an indictment against this superficial aspect of praying that is not really the true heart of the petitioner coming before God in the way that God wants him to come. Now, Jesus also says in this scripture why people do such things. Notice what he says. They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And so now we also learn here to avoid prayers that are long and laborious. Now, I remember when I was just a young boy that we would have revival meetings in our church. And two or three times a year, we would have two-week revival meetings. And always those revival meetings were preceded by one week of prayer meetings. We called those cottage prayer meetings, where we would go into the homes of different members of the church and people would pray. And so for a week before the revival started, and then for two weeks all during the revival, people would come and meet in these different places, and the men and women would split up, and they would go for prayer. And as I was a child, I hated those prayer meetings. Because I'd have to go with my dad. He was the pastor of the church. And I'd always have to go with the men. And he was pastoring at that time when I was little, an old country church. And those old country folks, they prayed long, long, long winded prayers. And so I would sit there as the prayer was going on, and I would time the prayers. And I had my watch on with the second hand, and I would time to see who could pray the longest prayer. And I would envision in my mind that after it's over, I'd pass out a prize to the guy who was able to pray the longest prayer. Now, I don't sit in judgment over the prayers. I just know that there are some times when we have the tendency to believe that if we keep praying for a long, 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 long time, that somehow that prayer is better than a short prayer. And people can be very proud of the time that they spend in their prayers, especially when they begin to talk about how long I've prayed. I mean, have you ever heard people say that? You know how much time I spent in prayer over this issue? And they want to make sure that you know that they prayed about something. I remember there was a, I know you've heard this name, and, uh, but I think it's a good illustration. I, I remember a preacher, and you've heard of him, by the name of Jack Hiles. And he used to talk about how that before every sermon that he ever preached, he spent four hours in prayer before every sermon. Now, why would he tell people that? It was because he was proud of the prayer time. He also said that he preached 50,000 sermons in his lifetime. And you still hear that statistic today among people that follow him. He was 75 years old when he died, and if you add all that up and you figure it out, it means that he, pre he preached two sermons every day for 365 years from the very day that he popped out of his mother's womb. And then he spent four hours in prayer before every sermon. That's 250,000 hours in prayer. That's 28 years of his life he spent in prayer. Somehow I don't believe that. It doesn't add up. 
And the only reason that anybody would ever say such a thing is because they want someone to stand back with their mouth gaping open and wonder in amazement at such feats that anybody could ever do that. And thus, you have Jesus' teachings in these verses. The sin of pride can enter into the most solemn acts of worship and it can pollute it. And it doesn't matter if you are a preacher, if you are a deacon, if you are a Sunday school teacher, or a person sitting out there in the pew every single week. The same thing can happen to you. Worship to God can be polluted by the wrong type of praying and with wrong motivations. Now, long long prayers are not necessarily bad. But if you think that the length of your prayer somehow makes it better with God, then you just really don't understand the right way of praying. Now, I need to sum the message up. I've got a lot more to say about prayer. Uh, We're going to talk about some more of these things in more detail. But let me close with this thought today. How should we pray? What is the right plan of prayer? Well, the right plan is to pray with consecration and confidence. Consecration is the dedication. It's the commitment that you have total dependence upon God in all things. Confidence is the faith that you have in the God who answers the prayer that he's able to answer. He's the Father. He knows everything there is to know about you. And that's what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, be not therefore like unto them. That means like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. For your Father knoweth the things that you have need of before you ask him. So don't be like the heathen. Don't be hypocritical in prayer. Don't seek to be heard by others because of your pride. Don't offer up to him vain repetitions and ritualistic praying. Don't pray for a long time if you think that God is hard of hearing and he's busy doing something else and so you have to get his attention. Now, you remember when Elijah had that contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I mean, all those false prophets were out there praying to their God, and they kept praying and praying. They kept begging, and they kept pleading. They went so far as they began to mutilate their own bodies in hopes that their God would hear them. Now, Elijah began to taunt them. He made fun of them because of their prayers. And he said, well, listen, fellas, maybe your God is asleep. You need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's off somewhere taking a trip. Maybe you just need to scream a little louder to get his attention. And that's what they did. And so they began to cry louder and louder. And they kept on and they kept on trying to call down fire from heaven. But Elijah stepped up to the altar that he had made to Jehovah God. And he spoke only one sentence. He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou hast turned their heart back again. One sentence was all his prayer was. And fire fell down from heaven, consumed his sacrifice, consumed the wood on the altar, consumed the altar of stone, and even burned up the dust that was on the ground. And that was because Elijah had confidence in the one to whom he prayed, in the God that he served. And so we must have confidence in the God that we serve. He's Jehovah God. He's the Almighty. He's the Father. He's the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, the message today is about how you speak with God. You must believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of this world, and you must trust Him to give you the righteousness that you need to be able to come into the presence and speak to His Father. You see, God knows your heart, and God knows every motivation that's in it. So my question for you is, have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted Christ to save you? And do you pray to God or do you pray to yourself? 
See, the righteousness of Christ must be given to you by faith. And then and only then do you come into a relationship with God where God will hear your prayers. So I encourage you, trust God. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Glorify God. And have the confidence that when you pray in Jesus' name, that God will hear those prayers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this blessed privilege of prayer. And we can come into your presence and we know that we're speaking to the great God who can do all, who knows all, sees all, who has every aspect of our lives totally in your hands. We thank you, Lord, for the great God that you are. Help us to realize, Lord, that there's no way that we can come into your presence unless we have received Jesus Christ as Savior. So as we preach today and we encourage people to put faith and confidence in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls so that we may have this blessed privilege where we can speak to God the Father in prayer. Lord, I pray that you might open up someone's heart to the gospel today. And I pray also that you might draw Christians closer to you, that we might understand the great God that we serve and serve and pray because we honor and glorify you in all things. And we give you the praise for this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.